Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Jersey Shore Podcast. Welcome to Jersey Shore. I'm Jordan from Jersey, joined as usual by Pierce. How are you doing, Pierce? I'm pretty good tonight. How about you? I'm doing very well, because we're going to talk about a comic that we both love quite a bit. I've known about it since it came out. I didn't read it until the first volume of the trade paperback came out. Mm. I don't think you actually got into it until maybe the first two were out. I knew of its existence. I, I forget what I read right after it came out. It was an article about Image and just how they present their new IPs and how they go about presenting IP it. being intellectual property for anyone who doesn't know. But I, I didn't really dive into it until just recently with, I guess, the completion of the second. Did, did I recommend it to you or... I think you might, uh, for lack of a better term, been the, the straw that broke the camel's back in <laughs> into it. And not saying that there was anything resisting, I just didn't really put much thought into right, reading right. it. Uh, yeah, I think it might have been you saying, check this out, or or it might have been, you know, browsing newest titles, you know, just released from what it was. So the book we're talking about is Saga, Saga. by the way, because we have not said that, by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by Fiona Staples, uh, gorgeously illustrated, very well written. We're going to yeah. get into some spoiler topics for the first two volumes, the whole first 12 issues of this yeah. book, so just be forewarned. It's very good, though, so if you don't want to be spoiled but are interested in it, go immediately check it out. It's Star Wars meets Romeo and Juliet with uh, several tabs of acid thrown into the mix. That is a, a, a fair presentation. I think the, the way that I've been presenting it to people has just been everything that you go through in finding love, in making relationships work, in having a child with weird space aliens and magic. Weird being a gross understatement. Oh yeah, but it covers all the natural, get a babysitter, meet the parents, all the natural parts of having a family just with the most insane overlaying on top of it. But, I mean, yeah, the way you're presenting it works just as well. I gotta say, I think this is the greatest comic. I don't know if you want to put it on the graphic novel level, however you want to say what it's it is. It's released as a comic. Uh, it released as a comic. It is the greatest comic I have ever read. Okay. That is just, you know, my opinion, but I have, I have a lot of admiration for comics that tell a story and, and kind of almost know when they are done. Lock and Key is another thing I'm a huge fan of. Lock and Key is amazing. We've uh, still got to do a Lock and Key episode. Yeah, but I think we should wait till at least it wraps up. It I is mean, so close to ending, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I admire that Lock and Key knows it has an ending, and it's just going to tell that story and it ends. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't talk about what we are going to dive into, but, like, I, you know, I read Spider-Man. I love Spider-Man. But what I can't stand in, say, Spider-Man, or really any comic, is the two-issue story arc. The... Oh, look, it's a villain. He's doing this thing. Oh, am I going to beat this villain? Next issue, I beat the villain. That bugs me. But when it's a whole story that organically unfolds, like even in Invincible, which I've, I, previous episodes I've mentioned how much I love, it's the same thing, where you have reoccurring villains, but they naturally work in with what's already happening, and you see the setup for why they're doing what they're doing beforehand. And it's just such more of a natural flow to things that tells a organic, continual story. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reasons for that. One, it being creator-owned properties, meaning yeah. the people who created the book are the ones who do the book. They've done it since the beginning. Uh, with some exceptions, sometimes artists will switch out, but like usually the, the person who created the story usually 
does the whole thing. They have a story they want to tell, and even if it's ongoing, they're the person who's controlling. Whereas with Spider-Man, you know, probably a hundred different writers have written Spider-Man over the... Well, probably way more than a hundred writers have written Spider-Man, but probably about a hundred writers have written Spider-Man across his specific titles over 50 years, you know? Mm -hmm. And it also just has to do with the way the industry works. You know, it's... These characters can never die for good. I mean, if they're making money... It's a business, and even though they want to tell the best stories they can within that business, you're not going to rip up a meal ticket, you know? uh, (laughs) You gotta do what you gotta do. And I understand that's why they do it, but as as a consumer, and and maybe this is like, we we talked before about the way television's changing and, you know, Netflix releasing everything at once, like, maybe I'm of the mentality that would rather get all the trade paperbacks of stories that are established and well-written, and I know that beforehand, as opposed to the pool list of every single week kind of thing, and, mm-hmm. and figuring that out as you go along. Well, I mean, with the pool list, you get the story immediately, you get another yeah, yeah, chunk, yeah. it's it's episodic st- uh, storytelling, and, you know, that, depending on the writer, that can be better, the same, or worse, you oh. know. Um, some writers read better in trade, some don't, it, and some it doesn't really matter. The only thing that really matters in that case is, for some, I mean, for, for pretty much any book out there, if people aren't reading it, particularly in single issues, yeah. it's not going to last. Yeah. Now, trade sales, you know, the hardcovers and paperbacks um, of the collected versions, they go into those metrics of determining, hey, this book is making us money, we'll keep it going. But a lot less. But because it's time-delayed, exactly. it can't, you know, if you don't get into a series until the second trade and it only lasted 12 issues because no one was reading it, that is a problem. And, and granted, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen with Saga. Which, yeah, I, I, oddly you say 12 as Saga's on issue 12. But I, I know well, yes. absolutely 13 is in development and they're going to... Yeah, yeah they're, they're kind of taking breaks in between each volume, yeah. which is nice. So I don't know if they did between which the first two. Which is what Lock and Key does, and, and that's driving me insane. And but, you know, it, it allows it allows the, the creative forces, the creative juices to re- rejuvenate the oh, creative yeah, forces absolutely. to do other things to pay the bills and to keep their careers going oh, yeah. and allows them to put as much work as they can into their passion projects like this while still being able to eat. You know? Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> and on the surface level, you know, I'm saying this, so why can't you be more prompt, you know, but on a deep level, I completely want them to create the best product possible and not push it out. To and Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of this, the of, of this, Brian K. Vaughn, the writer of this series, is also writing Private Eye with Marcos Martin. Um, which is a digital-only book, which is amazing. It is just mind-blowingly good. He's the showrunner on CBS's Under the Dome right now. Okay. Um, and I'm sh- sure he's doing other comic work as well. The guy's not exactly um, at a loss for things to do. So if he needs to take six months, let him let yeah. him do it. Like, you're, not, you're not caught Any up on... Any more than six months, I'm starting to be all like, come on, come on, come on, come on, at, come on, come on. As we record this episode, you're not caught up on the current season of Venture Brothers yet? No. You got a couple episodes left. Yeah, um, it, it, the current season has wrapped up, and there was a two and a half year gap in between seasons. There was a, a two was little it things really in between. That long? I believe so. Yeah. Wow. But you know what? They're so good. Yeah. So well done. So intricate that I'm willing to let them take their time. You know, I'd rather wait a while and get an awesome product than every week have a brand new mediocre thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so. And, and it's kind of that, tr- it's almost, you know, with the venture, with any TV show, but also with the Venture Brothers, particularly with that long break, it's kind of like the trade w- waiting mentality of, yeah. I've got to wait two years, but then I'm going to get eight new episodes, and they're going to be fantastic start to finish. And this season, at least in my opinion, was, and once you've seen it, we'll call. We're yeah. going to do a yeah, Venture Brothers episode, because yeah. it's great. But, uh-huh. so, Saga. Saga. Written by Brian K. Vaughn, illustrated beautifully by Fiona Staples. Yeah, she does, she does a fantastic job. Yeah, we both have both of our trades here. Yes. 
I also want to say that Phonographics does the lettering and design, and Eric Stevenson is the coordinator of the book. So we give everybody their due credit. Mm-hmm. We should. I think we should put a disclaimer. This is not a child-friendly book. No, this is very adult. Yeah, this is this is the you read this for you. You do not pass this on to your children until they've turned eighteen. Like, I read this on a train once. That was fun. Really? Yeah, yeah. I would like hide that in a corner. As I, I was kind of in the corner of the train yeah, because yeah, that's yeah, my yeah. favorite seat anyway. But yeah, the, it very very right off the bat, first page, adult material. There is graphic violence, graphic nudity, and graphic language. Yeah. And granted, the- and it all feels very real for the, the bombastic, strange world this is. None of it feels like, oh, that would never happen in terms of the level of content. It feels very real world in many ways, not just in the adult content, yeah. but it feels very real world throughout the book, yeah, but particularly yeah. in the adult content. People have sex, and occasionally you yeah. see that in the book. You know, things like that, and it's not... You know, granted, there's the planet Sextillion, which is kind of a uh, intergalactic pleasure planet, if you will. Yeah. Um, But again, while we don't have planets like that with quite as many bizarre things, there are many places in this world, in this country, probably in this town that you go to, that have similar real-world equivalents. And none of it feels out of place, which is strange considering how bizarre and awesome this book is. Which, and, And I think that's exactly what I was getting at. This is real life, and even down to the sextillion, where things like that exist, even, and this is, I think, you know, the first spoiler we'll get into, like, there's a, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, human traffic little girl, like, you know, it's all very real world things overlapped with just this, you know, fantastical, you know, space adventure, and, and, you know, all throughout the different levels that, you know, all, in every single, you know, situation, there's, that happens, where it's, this is a real life thing that you and I deal with, but with robots and aliens and grease monkeys and... Yeah, like, it, it's just fantastically realistic. Spaceships made out of trees. That is the coolest... I've said before on this podcast how much I love technology that is organically based. Not that I'm a hippie in any way, shape, or form, but, you know, and when they're, like, living tree sh- uh, spaceships, I was like, yeah, I like this even more than I did already. So, uh, we should... Can we just set up the real quick premise? Um, sure. Two planets at war. Or uh, specifically a planet and its moon. Yes. The planet of... Uh, Wreath? Is the, or no, the planet's landfall. The planet's the landfall, the moon is Wreath. Yes. Um, planet and its moon. I always say two planets, but planet and its moon. Wreath is inhabited... Uh, if I, I just want to say, if I had to pick a side, I'd pick Wreath. I'm not saying that either side is you know right in what they're doing, because we don't even know the cause of the war. Yeah, the, it's very vague about the things that are extraneous to the immediate central plot of the exactly. protagonist. And I think that's, that is on purpose. It's, yeah. it's, I think the whole idea is that it's just been centuries of war for Maybe so even long. a millennia. Millennia, and it's kind of, it, it almost hints at a, I know we say no real world politics, but I think it hints almost at a um, Middle East kind of like, this has just been going on for generations and there's so much hate kind of thing, which you could say about a lot of different cultures across the world, but they kind of hint at that, whatever whatever the hostility is between people and we don't know why. It's been going on so long that everyone just knows they don't like each other, but they have exactly. no... Like, they don't have a real good reason. Like how India and Pakistan, I believe, have dance-offs every day at the end of the day. Really? Um, yeah, it's this really whole ceremonious thing where at the border people go and watch and they just have this, for lack of a better term, dance-off to show their, like... Superiority uh, through dance. Exactly. Like, okay. Uh, it, it, I mean, it, it, look at it least up on, nobody's yeah. dying from that, I that's hope. Actually, yeah, that's the whole point. Where You look it up on YouTube, but, like, it's just this crazy thing I've ever seen. But Unless anyway, it's so, a they-shoot-horses-don't-they's type situation. Well, yeah, well, that's it. But anyway, so, um, so Wreath, Wreath is a... 
druidic, magical people. That they all have horns of various types, horns, antlers. Yeah, they're animal. Not they're animalistic, but they're like fawns. In that, they, they basically all have look a, yeah. human, slightly more tan skin, but nothing. I yeah. mean, all the races seem all the races. Just both both uh, peoples from both places, the planet and the moon, have a lot of variety. Yeah. Not just in the skin color, but also in the in the horns and antlers. It just you you can immediately tell from seeing one of them. Oh, they're they're on this side, or they're from this planet. But it feels. I, I like the way it feels in that they have such variety that it feels like, again, the real world. And that sometimes when you see, when, when you see like Star Wars, okay, uh, Star Wars and yeah. Hope, when you begin that, you have that first battle scene on, on uh, the Tan of Four, and all of the storm, well, obviously all the stormtroopers look the same, yeah. but even all the um, the rebel guys look pretty much the same. I yeah. think they're all, they're all pretty generic looking guys. And this, you don't have that feeling. It looks like a whole planet or moon of people. Yeah. Various peoples with actual cultures that differ from region to region and practices mm-hmm. that differ from region to region have all come together and are part of this coalition instead of just, it's the white people versus the green people, yeah. you know? And that's why I almost said, like, um, you know, Israel versus, uh, not Israel versus Pakistan, but like the Middle East battle where you have, you know, all those Middle Eastern countries where someone from outside would you say, oh, they're all Middle Eastern, but if you're from there, you can clearly tell the distinct differences between yeah, the countries. Yeah, it, it might differ block to block. Or yeah, even yeah, like, exactly. You know, you brought up India before, and not to go into, uh, not to go the cultural wars angle or anything like that, but, you know, there are so many languages in India that exactly, you go two yeah. blocks over, you might not speak the same language, or you might speak one of the same languages as they do, but they have three other languages they speak that are specific to those two blocks or four blocks or whatever, and it's that all these cultures that that form a cohesive culture but yet have so many different facets yeah exactly and, and you know we're, we are hinting on you know real world politics which again like i said break the rules but i think it's it's necessary in that the whole book talks about a book that is a well first off before i say that real quick <laughs> that's that's a deep pool if we're jumping to the book already that is a very deep pool but let, let's just say we said wreath there druidic almost, they have magic, they have uh, animal ears, different horns. That's right, they do have um, the ears, but yeah, the, the yeah. horns and kind of um, Spock ears. And, Pointer than that, more elf, even like super pointy Well, elf they ears. almost look animalistic in that they slope down, you know, but... It, That's true, yeah. Almost um, like, um, well, almost like a, like a goat or, you exactly. know, Exactly, well, like an elf. Flip over to Landfall, Landfall is the exact opposite, technologically advanced, uh, they all have various wings, whether it be bat wings, bird wings, uh, the main... Insect uh, wings, dragon wings. The main character wings. has the, you know, insect wings. And um, again, it's the same thing. Various colors of the skin, various designs, yeah. um, various, uh, super varied wings, both in color and design and what yeah. animals they call back Functionality to. as Functionality. well. Functionality, some can fly, some can't, but it all feels like one culture, or many cultures making one cohesive whole. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, now, saying that, the, I just want to say uh, the reason I think it's all right to comment on this one in this conversation in particular about uh, the real world and real world politics is because the whole book is centered around, well, centered around a baby. We'll get into that. But uh, the whole point of origin of this book is a book um, about pacifism. It's a love novel. It's it's a romance novel yeah. that has some elements of pacifism. It's not some. Like, when you start to read the excerpts that they talk about, it is very... Uh, the romance novel is, is, is a thinly veiled um, a, allusion to pacifism. It's very... It's called to inaction, I think they say, in volume two. 
Although I think even the writer of that novel points out, like, he wasn't really intending to do I mean, he could have been lying, and he would have no, had very good reason to do that so. He, he says he was lying. Oh, does he? Okay. Because what ends up, you know... I've only read volume two once, so... Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 again, I, you know, I'm more recent in reading it, where, where basically, you know, he says his son died, and the robot prince who's there, and we'll get into that. Which later. is probably a reference to Rudyard Kipling, actually. Um, the, the whole writing... I mean, it's it's difficult to get into without getting really complicated. Have you read The Unwritten? No. i got to get you into that series because it's very good, and I think you might like it. But basically, one of the sub-stories, not even a sub-story, it's kind of an aside, one of the issues, every once in a while they do aside issues that are about different real-world things. Yeah. But Rudyard Kipling was writing, and I'm assuming most of this is fact, with some fictional stuff thrown in to fit the book's universe. But Rudyard Kipling, so I don't know like 100% how true this is. So just grain of salt, folks. But Rudyard Kipling was writing propaganda for the British government in support of the empire in their pursuits in India. Okay. Through a, a number of his books. Until, if I remember correctly, his son died in India fighting for the British mm. government. And his daughter got sick. And there was a bunch of things where basically he changed his tune completely and stopped writing these allegorical stories which supported the British government and started writing ones that were very, very, um, uh, I don't want to say negative, but just they criticized their behavior in India and how they were handling it. And, you know, after the death yeah, of his yeah. son, and that's when the British government, basically he f- completely faded into obscurity, his works did, after that. Oh, yeah. Anything he had written past the rah-rah British government. Yeah, uh, and and that would be a deep cut if that's true, but I mean, it also makes sense in that, you know, when he was writing... And I have a feeling Brian K. Vaughan's probably read The Unwritten. Well, that, that's to, fair. To, to know that's the, fair. the reference. And, and, and it wouldn't be a direct parallel. I mean, because granted, this writer has faded into obscurity in Saga because, you know, uh, you know, people used to be lined up and they're cute, that adorable little seal thing. Oh my <laughs> word, that was the cutest thing in the entire Seal world. or sea lion or something. It was just a seal and he was wearing, wearing overalls. overalls and boots and it was the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. And he was all like, are you a lady? I don't know. Did, did you bring bottles? He likes it when ladies bring bottles. He's got a walrus friend. He's got like a walrus cow as like a mule, and it is the most adorable thing I've ever seen. But anyway. Sounds um, horrific. It's actually adorable. It's so adorable. Um, if you have no other reason, it, it's cat bug level adorable. That's how adorable it is. But anyway. Um, so thinly veiled. So thin, alle- but, uh, you know, but yeah, he's non-violence type But thing. my point is the yeah, it kind of lines up with that the the uh, that story that you were just saying because he um, kind of faded into obscurity. He used to have a line out the door. You know now he just kind of sits around. But anyway, so the, the robot prince uh, was just you know at the end of that part was just like. Um, you know, oh, you know, what battle did your son died in? And, you know, as he's walking out the door, you think everything's going to be hunky-dory. And, um, yeah, the writer, which I can't remember, what is the writer's name? It's a weird name, too. Um, something Oswald? You know, and he's a cyclops, so just, you know. He's like, I didn't. And then the robot uh, kind of turns around and goes, what? And basically he's like, I found him dead in the bathroom after he returned home. And it's just this, you know, where it comes out that, you know, it was... Because the author... The, the author's name is D. Oswald Heist. Heist. Okay. Well, I'll just say Heist, because uh, I can remember that. Uh, or Oswald. Uh, heist. <laughs> uh, I like that better. It sounds cooler. Uh, he's a Cyclops, by the way. Yeah, he's, he's Cyclops. Uh, in case, yeah, in case you were really interested. Um, where he's like, yeah, uh, he, I found him dead in the bathroom. 
And uh, at that point, it kind of clicks that, oh, he was lying the whole time. And it is a thinly veiled uh, uh, allusion to an action, or a call to an action, I should say. Um, and that's kind of when, you know, crap goes down, and that's how the, the, the book ends, and then you have to figure out how it goes. But, you know, it, um, I, the whole point of that was saying, like, you know, I think it's interesting because the saga is kind of revolving around this book that's a call to an action, and it, in, it, in and of itself, it is a call to an action, a little bit. A little bit. And that's not its main purpose. I think its main purpose is, like I said, to, you know, show what life is about and finding, you know, finding your way, figuring it out as you... While set know, in this Romeo and Juliet While type. set in this, yeah, fantastical world. And But I think that's definitely a part of it, of, you know, can you escape your past to, you know, can you make a difference, can you step up, and, you know, just by living life and not knowing what you're doing make a difference for good and, you know, a call to an action within that. This book is deeper than, I think, any comic that I've read in a while. Um, and that's, you know... I mean, I just just at least from the conversation we're having now, as opposed to what we've talked about in other novels. Uh, you know, maybe you've read other things, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I've read more than... Well, I know I've read more yeah. comics than you have. And then that's not a, that's not a slight towards you. I've just been reading yeah. longer. Um I don't know that I'd agree it's the deepest thing I've ever read. It's certainly deep. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of stuff. And there's all, and if you're looking for it, there's a surface-level story, which is really good. If you want oh, to yeah. look for the deeper stuff, it's there, and it's interesting. But it's not like, let me hit you over the head with this. Yeah. yeah. Which is well, good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's going to appeal to whatever whatever level. And I'm not, I'm not a parent. Definitely not. But I think it appealed, and maybe it's just because I, I love working with kids, that it appealed to that sense of, you know, this, you know, you don't know what you're doing with children. Yeah. You just kind of figure it out as you go along. You fake it until it yeah. either works or doesn't. And I think that's know. even what, you know, the, when I said earlier about the meeting of the parents, like the grandparents come into play at one point. I think that's even what the grandfather says, where it's just like, you know, you spend your entire life figuring it out, and then once you figure it out, well, you know. And then, you know, it's this whole, you know, emotional thing where, you don't really know. You just kind of have to figure it out, and and you know you enjoy the 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 journey and the beauty along the way of it. So so, so to go to go back to the premise a little bit, to just to give people a better picture. Yeah. Like we said, planet landfall, moon yep. reef. They've been fighting this war for possibly centuries, centuries, possibly a millennia. Yeah. You know, it's not exactly known because it's not really important. But the point is, okay, so you're fighting this. You're fighting everybody on the moon or the planet, depending on which side you are on. Yeah. Neither one wins in the end, or can win. Well, they realize, yeah, they can't destroy each other. Because if you destroy the moon, guess what? Planet goes out. If you destroy the planet, ditto for the moon. Yeah, what's the moon going to do? So what do you do? They outsource the war. and Outsource the war, which is a beautiful idea. Years and years and years, they've basically gone throughout the galaxy and basically drafted other planets into their side. And so the battle doesn't get fought on Reether Landfall anymore. The fight gets fought on various planets with various races that are fighting for either side. Yeah, all of which are contracted out. Like, the other big race is the robot... uh, Is the robot people? It seems to be that they are... We we discussed this on LOD because we did a a side episode for Volume 1. We're still a little unclear whether the robot family is the ruling class on Landfall or whether they're just a super powerful... Um, politically powerful group within the landfall side. Uh, that's what that is one hundred percent what I picked up on is that they are not the ruling class because it uh, says I forget which volume it's in, but just that 
you know, someone's all like, you know, I thought you were part of, you know, or I thought you were behind Landfall's cause. And the the robot prince, who's kind of the robot main character in this, um, is just like, no, you're just the winner in the bidding war. Like, I thought... Okay, they, so that... Yeah, I forgot I thought that, they made that, that pretty clear, uh, at least in... That might be in volume two, though, probably. Yeah, some, so, some of And we were talking just volume one, but... Where, yeah, where they are, you know, just contracted out. And they look like gray people with TV heads. That yeah. That show a lot of pornographic images for no apparent They've reason. shown one. I, I thought it was two. I think maybe two on the same page. I'm counting that as one. Uh, I thought, I thought um, it was one. Or it's one sequence or something like that. Um, yeah, they are... They are like, exactly like you said. If you if you picture the the, the human being mascot from Community, <laughs> a little less creepy, only gray instead of white, yeah. and with a te- with an old school tube television for a head and antenna, kind of uh, maybe kind of looks like um the old IMAX, like the original like super bright IMAX, only gray. Mm. You know that kind of shape. Yeah. Um. You know uh, the the rounded. It comes to it's it's flat on the front, but comes to that rounded back. Um. Yeah. And they look human, aside yeah. from the fact that they are gray, have a television head that shows images sometimes. I mean, anatomy all, all the way down is Anatomy is the same. same, and their arms can turn into cannons. And when I say cannons, I don't cool. mean laser cannon. I mean turns into a Napoleonic-style cannon. <laughs> and they wear... Manesque, really. Yeah, and they dress Napoleonic. They dress that is very like, true. Um, well, that's, that, yeah, that's true of Landfall in general, in that it's But very, more so the robots. Yeah, that the, is robot the robot ruling Napoleon. family yeah. is very Napoleonic yeah. in their dress, in the way, in the places they live, in the way they uh, conduct their business, etc. Yeah. So, also, can I can I I, I want to ask you a question on this? So, Prince Prince Robot, his name is Prince, Prince robot, robot the Fourth. Is it the Fourth or is it Four? The the thing is, because reader for listeners, it's it's IV. Yeah, when you write like Queen Elizabeth. The second, you write her name as Queen Elizabeth I.I. Yeah. But it's pronounced the second. So I'm going to... I, I generally yeah. say Prince Robot 4. However, I'm sh- I am under the impression that it's probably more technically the fourth, but I generally call him 4. I, I say 4 too, just because, I mean, that, that would seem to be a more robotic way of doing it other than the fourth. But it, you or know, 4.0. <laughs> yeah, or 4.0. But then again, I mean... They There's have no a, Roman numeral for zero. Well, so. that's true. But then again, they have a very, you know, classical style of dress, so it could very easily be the fourth as well. Yeah. But, yeah, so anyway. Um, there's one other aspect of the world um, that we should address real quick, and uh, that that is... Uh, well, actually, too, I just want to say that Landfall and Ruth do not speak the same language. No, um, um, Reef actually... Spe- the people of Reef actually speak Esperanto. Speak blue. Well, yeah, it's, it's written in blue, but it's Esperanto. I don't know what that is. Esperanto, it, well... First of all, all languages are made up, but Esperanto was created in the 50s, 60s, 70s as a language that took roots from a lot of different languages, mostly Romance languages, but not exclusively, that was designed to be a world language that everyone could learn and speak easier than other languages. Oh, one world language. Um, There was one, I believe, movie made entirely in Esperanto starring William Shatner. (laughs) Um, And it is, it never caught on the way they wanted but it, Obviously. But it is used somewhere, and it, it looks to a English speaker like myself very much like Portuguese or Spanish, which I assumed it was until I Googled it, and was okay. like, 
oh, A, apparently Google has an Esperanto setting for the translate really? mechanic. So but can B, you straight Esperanto. up translate what they say? Yes. Okay. And I've done it several times. Because usually contextually you can figure out what they're saying. Other times I'm like, I want to be clear on that. So I've Googled yeah. it, Google translated it, and yeah, it's Esperanto. Okay. And it makes and sense. We, we should say they call it blue. They, in, in the book, they call it blue, where uh, the main, the, the male, we should say that the male lead is... Well, let's get into that so for, in, uh, but, after uh, we talk uh, about the freelancers. Uh, yeah, so, the, so we'll get into more about the, who the two main characters are. The other thing I should say about the world is uh, mercenaries. Or freelancers, as they freelancers, go in this world. Yes. With the best, um, I think it's called a nominative... I guess that would be or the title, word. yeah. But my, the or best one I've ever seen. Yeah, descriptive name it, for the. Yeah. I am Doctor Jordan, my last name, because yeah. I have a doctorate, um, or Jordan, my last name, Esquire, because you know I'm, I'm a lawyer. But you know that that first one, not not the. I think the other one's called a superlative or something like that, the Esquire. Yes. But a, a, you know, Doctor or Mister Miss. Um, What's another one you can think of? Uh, Mr. Ms. Mrs. Uh, Doctor. I mean, you can get in the more formal ones like lady. Or even king, queen, yeah, title, exactly. title type things. This one has the best one ever, which is the freelancers yeah. all go by the title, the. The blank. Yeah. So there's the stalk. There is. The will. The will. There's a couple <laughs> others who are mentioned. Yeah. Um, but basically, so I could be the Jordan or the Jersey, or you could yeah. be the Pierce or the the whatever it might the be. The bad horse. What? The <laughs> I don't know if they ever use. I think some ha- might have multiple words yeah. in there. But it's awesome because people know that when someone is addressed as or introduced as the whatever, yeah. it means they're a big deal. It means they are dangerous, and it immediately tells them what their deal is. They are and, a freelancer. And, and there's even a couple times where like, oh, you're a freelancer. Like, instantaneously. I think even one point someone's introduced and another character goes, did they just say the? Yeah. You know? (laughs) And it's not, I I looked because I thought it'd be interesting if they never used the in any other context. They do in the book. Like, in other words, use the in sentences. Let's go to the ship. Let's go down to the store. I I thought it would be interesting if they completely cut that. I don't think they did. Yeah. But, but yeah, when you hear the and then a name. In reference to a person. You, or uh, 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 (laughs) a... Conscious entity, let's just say, because I would yeah, even—I mean, person, depending on how you want to—not human, certainly. But yeah, person, person, just being. When yeah, you hear I mean, the yeah. in relation to a personage, a yeah. personage rather, personage. it is a freelancer. Yeah, and exactly. it's a big deal. And even though he drives the dumbest ship in the world, <laughs> the Acorn, the little, little steed flying in it's space. It's techno organic. You're supposed to go gaga. That is that. not techno organic. That just looks like it. The, it's a whirly tr- gig. It is the dumbest looking thing. The tree ship is awesome. That little acorn flying thing through apricot through space. I was not a fan of that one. But anyway, so let, yeah, we should establish. So we've got the world. Yeah, we got got the beautiful the well, galaxy. Um, the galaxy. Yeah, yeah. The, the world of the book is what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, the narrative world. But the actual focus of this book is on Marco and Alana. Yeah. Marco is from. I'm surprised Reef. you remember her name because I can. Never I looked remember. it up right before we started. <laughs> Um, Marco is from Reef. Yep. He's got antlers. Tradi- well, tradi- or not even antlers. He, he's Ram got like ram swords, yes. Um, and he fought for Reef and then yep. became a basically a pacifist. Well, I well, mean, well, but he, I mean yeah. pacifist slash, um, uh, what's the term in like Vietnam if you didn't want to? Uh, conscientious objector. objector. Yes. He, he, so he became either a pacifist or a conscientious objector. Then you have Alana. In prison, yeah. Mm-hmm. You have Alana, and Alana has um, kind of 
bug wings. The scarabesque wings. Yeah. yeah. They've kind of got like little uh, protrusions that cover the wings when they're folded in. They come yeah. up almost like a beetle would have. Exactly. Um, she is from, from Landfall. Yeah. She cannot fly. She cannot fly, correct. Um, and she is olive-toned. She yeah, yeah. looks like... Well, first off, Marco kind of looks like David Tennant a little bit. All right, I can a see that. Yeah, if you gave him long And she is... Mediterranean almost looking. She is Martha Jones. She is Freema Agamemnon nah, I wouldn't, with cause, wings. Because Gwen, Gwendolyn is, is much darker skin. Skin um, tone is a little bit off, but in terms of the face, she is Martha Jones. My favorite companion from Doctor Who. More than Amy Pond? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I mean, that's a conversation for a different day. But, um... It's a conversation I think we've already had. Did we? I don't remember this In the Doctor Who episode. But anyway. So they are, you, you know, you're, like I said, Romeo and Juliet, the Montagues and the, and the Capulets. Um, mm-hmm. Or is it Montesquieu or Montague? Montague. Probably no, depends on the region you're... Yeah, well, I think it might be pronounced. It, regardless, it, cultural things. Anyway, so they're obviously uh, on the opposite sides. Yeah, and we learn in the second volume. We kind of we kind of get the gist in the first volume, but we learn the specifics in the second volume. He was a prisoner of war. He yeah. was captured by the people of Landfall, and he was in prison and you know turned to the nonviolence and, and was trying to preach nonviolence. Too, yes, which is the greatest meeting of all time. But meanwhile, Alana yeah. has been reading this book by D. Oswald Heist. She's yeah. in love with this book. Um, it's like I said, it's a romance novel. Yeah, I think you just see like a clip of the uh, of the page, and it's like, you know, oh, he fell out of the hammock onto the grounds. Oh, why don't you join me on the ground? It's kind of nice down here. Like, it's like intentionally poorly written type. Yeah, work. Yeah, and she's like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever read." And then one day, because she's, if I remember correctly, terrible in battle, like she just has no war type skills. She's just she, yeah. This planet that they are both on is populated by the people that suck at battle. Like, well, it's a prison planet, basically. So they, yeah. they assign people who are no good in battle to be guards. Well, no, it's not. It, there is actually still active warfare there. But yeah, what was it um, called? Do you remember? Uh, Cleve. Cleve. Yes, the planet um, of Cleve. And, and like, is that Cleve is like the running joke? Like, where where the robot prince was just like, wait, they still post people on Cleve? I thought this was like a horror story that they told new recruits so that they would behave like. Yeah. Uh, you know, and so... And, of course, cleave coming from the geological term, which is used many other places. Um, cleavage. And jokes aside. And cleavage. the rock has nice cleavage. Two, two things coming together, or two things separating, but it's that meeting point. So, yeah. of course, Romeo and Juliet, the two sides of meeting, etc., yeah. and so mm-hmm. forth. It's very symbolic. Um, yeah, and, and to make another Doctor Who reference, if you guys watched the most recent Cyberman episode of the, you know, Planet of Reject Soldiers, this is kind of that idea for, for Landfall. Um, so she is a guard, yeah. and she is one day assigned to guard Marco. She's, yeah, she, well, she's just on duty, and uh, Marco is just, like, preaching in blue. Uh, I assume pacifism. And she just goes in, and uh, all throughout you just see white text overlacing everything, which is the, I guess, main character, you would say. Right, let, let's say that for a little bit when we get back to the actual beginning of the story, because like I said, this is volume two. Oh, but I just like saying because that's how they met, and like just like every couple, you know, the meetings. The, not the narrator so who 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 who, the narrator who tells a story through white text, which is kind of woven into the artwork. It's not like in some ways very beautiful, very yeah. beautiful. I like it quite a bit. Um, excellent script work. I don't know if that was done by the letter or whether that was done in the art itself, yeah. but the narrator tells you, and basically, this is how they met. Yeah, this is where they fell in love, yeah. and. 
So now we can jump back and kind of talk about who that narrator is, because the actual story doesn't start there. That happens in Volume 2, where you actually see that. The story yeah, starts... It's so sweet, because not every meeting is romantic at first, and then, yeah, it's so, it's so great. If we could only fall in love with the people we meet in prison, but... Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then hit in the face with the butt of our guns. Oh, my yeah. word. Oh, it was so romantic. The story actually starts with Alana giving birth. Am I kidding? It feels like a kidding. I'm going to have to bleep that. But, yes, um, I like I said, it is, there is um, strong language in the book, and it starts right off in the beginning with that. Alana is giving birth to the character who will eventually be known as Hazel. Hazel. Who is their daughter. Yeah. They, they fell in love. They ran away. Um, they broke out of prison. Well, he broke out. She helped him break out of prison. Yeah, exactly. And uh, they got married. They are off on the galaxy. Married, well, quote, they, They've got yeah, rings. Exactly, you know, they yeah. consider it binding. Well, yeah. He stole rings, you know. We'll, we'll yeah. Um, and... She's pregnant, she's giving birth right at the beginning, yep. and the narrator of the story is their daughter, basically right telling you that, this yeah. is the story of how my parents met, of my upbringing, and basically the world I grew up in. This is why I am the way I am. Yeah, and, and just like, she is constantly, like, when when the parents come in, she goes, and then our grand, and then my grandparents came to live with us. <laughs> and I'm like, it's so beautiful in that this is life, and this is the way it is, but... You know, usually grandparents don't come in with battle axes and, you know, banish your babysitter to the nearby planet kind of thing. Yeah. You know, so... Um, Which, is, this is interesting, we, we had this conversation on LOD, right? And, we, we, and how great the babysitter is and how she's the best character. She is great, and we will get to her. I love that character so much. But I love, like, every character in this book, even the evil ones. They're just awesome. Gwendolyn is the only one that I'm not in love with yet, but She's new. We haven't exactly. had a lot of time. Exactly, we haven't had a lot of time. But anyway... Um, we had the discussion, and we didn't really come to a consensus, yeah. aside from the fact that we think it's deliberately ambiguous and done really well. Yeah. In that, in the answer to this question, which is, how old do you think Hazel is when she's writing this? Ooh. Is she a teenager? Is she in her 20s? Is she middle-aged? Is she an old woman looking back? My gut reaction. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Early, early teen. Okay. Where she's one of those girls that, because of circumstances in life, had to mature quickly, you know, and just, you know, from her parents, who they are, just being naturally intelligent, you know, just kind of grew up rather quickly. This is almost like her journal. Like, this is a teenage girl journal. She's 13, 14, 15. It just in the way she phrases things, like, that's just my gut reaction to that. Um, and almost in the style in which it's written, because when you see that that white text of hers, it's usually curved. It's you know, and that's how I got my first babysitter. It's a little scrawly. It's yeah, not exactly, exactly. like uh, fine uh, calligraphy or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's not very you know high language. It's you know that's kind of that that's my gut feel for that. And, and for me, my strongest, and this may have changed since we recorded LOD for all I know, people could be like, that's not what you said before, but <laughs> um, I feel like it works, I don't know if I'd say best, but my gut, if we well, yeah, yeah. goes to either young, although I don't know I'd say early teens, maybe late teens, okay. or elderly woman. Okay. Like elderly woman right. with a sense of humor, you know, like so, some grandmothers yeah, just have like, the nice and sarcastic yeah. and fun, mm-hmm. and, and they, they get it, you know. Yeah. I get the feeling it's either one of those, but I've seen strong arguments for also middle age or 20s or whatever, and I think that's a, a strong thing for the book because while it is an ongoing, presumably will have an end at some point, um, and you know that she at least li- you know, lives to the point where, where she, she even says, right, I got yeah. to grow old. Grow old is one of those ambiguous terms, which does that exactly. mean to adulthood or to just teenhood where you think you're an adult or Especially elderly. because they, they make it very clear that these quote-unquote half-breeds, if you will... 
of these two different races have never really survived before. Although, is that by design? Is that exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, is that just a folklore that they tell people? To but so I think it works well in that you know she's going to live a while. Yeah. You know, be that 15 years uh, or yeah, be that At the 80. very least, you know. But you don't know how long. And yeah. I think that's a great thing for the book because while you never really feel like the baby is in super strong danger, yeah. usually, um, everyone else is expendable. Yes and no. I mean, I, I'd say less so for her parents, yeah. but we've seen characters who you would not think die so quickly die. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, after reading so much Joe Hill, no one is, you know, off limits. But but, but, it, but the amb- ambiguity of her age really adds to the, this could go so many different directions. Yeah. And already has gone so and, many yeah. different directions. And I almost wonder if this is more or less going to end up, like, for lack of a better person to reference, like a River Tam Firefly situation, which where, this does feel very Whedon-esque in many ways. Yeah, that is very true. This but, is it, it, what would happen maybe if Joss Whedon wrote Star Wars. Well, I mean, I mean, you can oh, also, Star Wars type story. Well, you can also, yeah, you can also parallel this to Buffy because uh, you know we were just talking beforehand about how uh, there was recently a Buffy uh, marathon of, on uh, sci-fi, and um, you know it's the same thing of oh, I'm a teenage girl with teenage girl problems with this fantastical world thrown over top. So, that yeah, it's definitely Whedon-esque in that manner because um, Whedon likes taking real-world problems and just adding magic to it. Um, Although I think generally the show worked better when it was focusing on not her constant whining about her mother. Although yeah, there are yeah. exceptions like the episode The Body, which I won't spoil anything about, yeah. but there are episodes that do deal with the real life stuff in amazing ways. Oh, yeah. But I oh, I generally got very tired of the, my mom, let me do anything storyline well, for the 17th not even, time. Not even the mom was. Like, I, the mom was, was a dumb character, and they obviously they dealt with that. But just like, you know, like, am I supposed to care about high school? Or am I supposed yeah, to care about this? Yeah, like, but, but the thing yeah. is, with Saga, I do care about all those real world things. And the the extraneous craziness going on throughout the galaxy is awesome oh, yeah. and really cool. But it's not like in when I watched Buffy or Angel where I was like, or m- more so Buffy, I'd say, where I'd be like, can we just focus on the crazy stuff instead yeah. of this? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, not always. I like Buffy quite a bit. Don't get mad at okay. me, people. But you can't where, not like Buffy. Well, you can not like In Buffy, this book, whether we're in the fantastical elements or the more grounded family life stuff, yeah. at no time are like, can we get back to the other, unless like that moment in the story was like, oh, I gotta know what happens in that yeah, exactly. I'm like, never like that. Yeah. I'm fine with whatever they want to tell with, with this book, these, I'm yeah, always exactly. happy wherever they are. Except for that lion cat scene. You know, <laughs> we'll get to it. Lion cat. Well, we should say, the the, the, the main guy, Will, has the Will has, has, a, has a lion cat. He, ha- he has a hairless, blue Large you know, cat, I mean, maybe the size kind of a looks cheetah. like it's supposed to look like a sphinx. Yeah, what, cat, what but I mean, I don't, whatever. Right, so and it's and it speaks, but only one word, and only <laughs> when it's contextually accurate, which yeah. is the cat can tell if you're lying. Yeah. And if you are lying, regardless of who you are, regardless it, of who you are, it will okay. say lying. That and, is its job, and it's awesome. And it's so the only so time he I confidently like. sends it, like, you know, like, oh, you know, what are you doing here? And they're like, blah, 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 lying. lying. And they're like, when the will says something, he's like, lying, lying. And then they both look at the cat. They're like, do you ever want to kill that thing? Oh, all the time. <laughs> but, so, all crazy in this world. So, like I said, the book starts with Hazel being born um, and her narrating the story. And it's not... Which, I mean, even on a very superficial level, Hazel, you know, brown and green, yep. the, the mixing of that. Uh, I know what Hazel eyes are. I have them. Yeah, wow, thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm, I thought I was... No, no, you're, you're good. It is a good note, yes. Um... So the story is her narrating, and I should say the narr- narration is not obtrusive. It happens 
occasionally and often enough that it's a constant, but it's not like every page is covered in narration. You might go almost a whole issue without any narration. Yeah. It comes in when it's appropriate. Exactly. And it's, and it's used well. And usually when it revolves around the family. Yes. Yeah. And so the first volume, and really the, the second as well, is focused on... First off, they want to get off the planet of Cleve because it's a war zone. There are literal horrors and horrific yeah. things going on on this okay. planet. There are not literal horrors. There are things called the horrors, <laughs> which which we find out exactly. What but there are also literally horrible horrible things going on on this planet. Oh, there. Oh, yeah. There are definitely horrible things, but there are things that they call the horrors. The horrors. We'll get into Ooh, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's focused on a. We need to get off this planet because both of our races are here. Both of them want us dead. Um, and either want the baby dead or want to capture the baby and experiment it on it. Either way, not Yeah, good. we don't know what exactly the purpose is for, for the... But you can assume everyone's like, kill the parents, bring us the baby. Yeah. Yes, bring us the girl, wipe away the dead. Um, uh, <laughs> Bioshock, infinite so much, reference. Yeah. Um, I can now compare everybody. So it's A, get off the planet, and yeah. then B, once we're off the planet, get as far away from this section of the galaxy, this or, galaxy... yeah, just find a corner to hide in, yeah. So we can raise our daughter, be pacifists, Well, and I mean, they, they actually make it pretty clear that they want to get to, um... Eventually. But, I mean, it's... To, first, yeah. it's just like, we want to get... They want to get to D. Oswald Heist as well. Yeah, Heist. I was like, oh, I can remember Heist. <laughs> I could remember Heist. But, but more so, it's just... We want to keep our daughter safe. We want her to grow exactly. up. We, we want to get her away from the war. And we want to get ourselves away from the war. Because we don't want to die. Exactly. Um, and Marco is really interesting. And both of them are very interesting characters. Marco yeah. and Alana, but... Marco has a past. Yeah, that's the thing. He's taken this vow of nonviolence, right? Yeah. So much so that he has this at least a thousand-year-old sword from his family. Yeah, family heirloom. That he has chained the hilt to the scabbard so it can't come out without, like, prying it. And he's constantly like, we want to do this nonviolent way, we want to get out of here, I don't want to have anything more to do with this. And so for a large section of the first volume, you might get the impression of, like, you know, he's just not comfortable with war, he doesn't get it. You know, because cause Alana, although I don't think you get that, you don't really understand it until the second book, she's no good at this war stuff, for the well, most yeah, part. Yeah, see, I honestly... Like, she's I becoming better. Up, I picked up right away from um, Marco um, that, like, there's some Moroni Kenshin level stuff in his past. You said Moroni Kenshin? Rurouni Kenshin. Um, if you're not familiar with the anime, I'm not a big anime guy. I just know I just couldn't get into it because it was he's like this legendary assassin samurai guy from what series? Uh, Kenshin. From, oh, or, that's like oh, okay. I don't know his name and that's the name of. Uh, but I've seen it written. Yes. Where I mean, if you aren't familiar with Kenshin, you know he's this legendary assassin and well, not, you know, samurai or whatever you want to call it, and he's like, I will never kill again. You know, like that's the vibe that I picked up from uh, Marco, like right away. Like, I never want to use this sword again. Like, he clearly used it to, you know, clean house a couple times. I don't know that it's ever made clear before you see him that he was really that good. Okay. I mean, I, I, you, you're, you're told that basically once he saw his first battle, he was like, I'm done. At age like six, yeah. I'm done. Well, but no, I mean, once he participated in his first battle. He, uh, yes, age six, yeah. yes, so there was a traumatic event, but where he kind of learned a lot about, informed a lot of what he was going to be as an adult. But when see, he first see, saw kinda, his first battle, you're told at least that he was like, I'm done, I can't handle this, this is too much. See, was it was it the first battle? Because I thought it was like after several battles, and then he, you know, he finally... I'm pretty sure and, it was the first one. Really? Okay. I think so. 
I, I mean, or his I first just, real battle, like maybe the skirmish. Okay. I just, yeah, I just picked up on something on uh, something different level, but um, but so when he finally comes to a point where his family is going to die if he does not take action, you find out that oh, he's actually Berserker Wolverine. Yeah, the moment he takes that step across the line he has set. Very few things are going to pull him back from that line. He oh, yeah. is going to mess you and everyone around you up oh, yeah. to protect his himself, his family, and more. This 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 call to nonviolence, this pledge of nonviolence, is to protect himself and others, not to make a political statement so much as he's afraid of what he can do. Oh, yeah, I mean, we should say that the I mean, the cover of the second volume. Yes, after it, after you know this about him, the cover of the second volume is him covered in blood. Him covered in blood, there's feathers and wings and, you know, so it's clearly a very and he's in a military uniform too. Um Although that that, that cover like I'm saying was published after oh, you yeah, see after those events in volume are very 1 with where it, yeah. you're like, "Oh, he's awesome in a scary way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Alana, I don't want to downplay her. Like I say, she's not good at war. She matured no, so much not. over the course of this the series. But I mean, like, she wasn't good in the beginning, but she is a good mother, and she is she is strong enough to make hard decisions and protect her family. Even if she was not maybe cut out for war, she is still a super strong character. Yeah. You don't want to get on her bad side. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean... But I, I really feel like, at least what I picked up, when she puts on a tough, you know, face for her family, obviously. But there's been times, but, like, in that Berserker Rage scene where she has stepped up and done what, did, did what she had to do. Yeah. Being shooting her own husband with, with a stun bolt um, to stop him from slaughtering everyone or dealing with his parents or other situations. Or even just when, you know, a couple times where they were pre- prepared to face their own deaths where, you know, th- that strength of, this is it, you yeah. know, you know, which may not seem like strength on its face, but the way you handle a this-is-it situation where this is it and nothing comes after says a lot about a person. Yeah, a that's fair. That's very you know? fair, yeah. So, that's them trying to escape across the galaxy, like we've mentioned several times. Um, his parents are involved. Her family's involved a little bit on the periphery. They haven't really entered the main fray. Uh, they haven't. They, they haven't. You haven't even seen what they look like yet. I I, I want to say that the one unicorn lady is her grandmother, isn't it? No, no, that doesn't make sense because that it's makes the wrong. no sense. <laughs> okay, so may, maybe not. Um, I, I take that back. I want to say maybe it was Gwendolyn's mother actually. Well, we don't. Possibly. Well, I, maybe I don't know. We, we, I forget. Well, I don't can, know if can we, we got introduce a new one of my favorite characters, characters please. The will first. or the stalk? No, no, no. I mean, uh, the, they're who, they're they're interesting too. Who do you want to introduce, Pierce? I want to introduce the babysitter. Okay, I I will be right there with you because I love the character, the babysitter, whose name is Isabel. Isabel. So they're on this planet. They're trying to escape. They've got this map that they got through a series of circumstances involving Which a lot is of blood. The dumbest map. It in looks the like world. an old school treasure map. Even they are like, like one drawn by children. Like you know, X marks a spot type stuff. Even they are kind of like it's all we have, but this is really unlikely to be true or to be you know usable as a map. But they've got to go through this to th- the the woods, and the woods have a funny name. I forget what it is, but or the forests, like the. But they, they know that in the forest are the horrors. And the horrors are things that live in the woods that they have heard stories of, you know, secondhand, thirdhand, yeah. of doing 
terrible things. Like oh yeah, like the freelancer, the, the stalk. Yeah, and... no, 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 no. Yeah, it wasn't just ripping out the spine because the stalk is like trying to kill them, right? The the freelancer. Yeah, one of the freelancers um, comes to kill them, and when she finds out that the horrors are coming, and she's around, like, "Oh, I'm out. You guys, I, I saw them rip a man's spine through his urethra." Yeah, I believe this that is was a thing point. that I saw. Like that is her exact. And line. and this is not a weak willed character. This is a super strong character. The yeah. stalk we'll talk about later. Who, if this character particularly given what she looks like, but also what she's willing to yeah. do is scared of something, you know you need to be scared. Oh, yeah. Run. Run. So. And and all throughout, we should say, the last several issues, you just see these red eyes all over the place. Like, you know. Looking out from the woods, kind of like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something. Yeah, where, yeah, exactly. Where, like, you know, you only see people, everyone, all, of, all you see of everyone is just the eyes, and then all of these sudden all the eyes. Coming out from the yeah, woods exactly, in the distance kind of thing, and stuff. Yeah. So. The, the characters you know, of Marco and Alana and Baby Hazel eventually meet the horrors. Yeah. To find out that. Well, we should say the stalk pretty are. much almost killed. The stalk shoots Marco through the shoulder, probably Something p- shoulder along, neck level. And basically, they need to get him to a place with snow because there is a spell that will heal him, but spells in this universe have a cost. Yeah. Sometimes it's something. An a ex- secret. Ingredient they call it. Sometimes yeah. it's something is ethereal, like a secret or. Or a, a promise yeah. where you need to tell me something that no one else knows, and that will be the ingredient for the spell. Sometimes it's blood or snow or, or something. Yeah, exactly. But they need to get to a place with snow, and that's when the horrors come out and introduce themselves. Yeah. Do you want to explain to listeners, Pierce, who, what the what the horrors are? The horrors are the worst evolutionary defense in existence ever. That's we good. could argue that, sure. Well, I mean, that's exactly what they say. That's that's Isabel's explanation of what it is. Basically, it's the ghosts of pretty much. It looks like all kids, and maybe this is just at least this, in that group. Yeah, that that group of heart. It's the yeah. It basically the natural inhabitants of Cleve were wiped off the face of the earth or, um, of the Cleve. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, were were completely destroyed. Like the two, uh, as far fight, as we know, there may exactly. be some somewhere. But. And the fighting races came in. All the the Clevians. Uh, <laughs> Were, Clevelanders. Were, Clevelanders. <laughs> uh, were, were killed. But their evolutionary developed defense is apparently they turn into ghosts that can uh, create illusions. Yeah, so they, they basically haunt the woods yeah. and they can create these illusions. So the things people saw or told people they saw, they did see them technically, but they, they just didn't happen. Yeah. So, and they are horrific yeah. things. So like you have all these like the teenagers and preteens walk up to the couple and be like, you look like you need help. And the the leader of the pack apparently is this disem well not disemboweled she's no just, literally disemboweled yes oh I mean she's missing her entire lower half basically her her everything below her let's say belly button if her yeah pretty much she's, that, yeah she wears a t shirt but you still see some was blown down. off by a, a, a landmine land and yeah. she looks very much like a punk chick or a or a surfer girl which I mean and and I, with with just the t shirt the piercings and then her intestines hanging out below the hem of the t shirt yeah. and we should say as far as an alien race goes and I hope this in no way comes across races but they almost have a a monkey ish s how is that racist. Well, I mean, because, I mean, that's a term that people can use. Oh, okay, that has been used. Okay, yeah. I see what you um, mean. They, they, they have a very simian appearance. Yes, and they, they kind of don't really have, they have a flat kind of nose with almost like a, a skull. Actually, I would almost say like, almost like um, uh, slits, almost like a snake, like reptilian that's, nostrils. That is true, their, their nostrils are reptilian that way. Reptilian nostrils, um, chimpanzee ears. Very large ears, yeah, their faces are almost chimpanzee-ish. Um, yes, um, uh, yeah, I have it pulled up, and... Isabel, you know, just being a teen, she is a teenager, and that's the beauty of it. Eternally. She's, yeah. She is eternally just 
a teenager, and she's a babysitter, and... Because she was, like, the oldest of a bunch of kids, if I remember correctly. Well, yeah, exactly, and and even the page I have open till now, she she is the typical teenager, where she acts super tough, she creates an illusion of a giant flaming, um, like, ape that just flips off these witches and scares them away, like, yeah, what now? And then she's like, this is definitely the third worst babysitting gig I've ever had, <laughs> and then something, like, the planet starts to fall apart, she goes, can we, can we, can we go now? Can we please do that thing and leave? Like, you know, and it's just, again, it's this beautiful thing where, you know, this is just life, because that is teenagers. I've worked with enough of them to know, like, oh yeah, I'm so cool. No, no, can we please go away now? I don't want to do this thing anymore. So, they need Isabel's help to get the snow and to get off Yeah, the exactly. Because she knows the area. She's, yeah. she's a local. Yeah, she's um, traveling around. She's nothing better She's eternally a local, yeah, except exactly. that with this evolutionary defense mechanism of the ghosts being bonded to the planet, they can escape the planet, but there's only one way. They have to be tied to something naturally local. They have to, yeah, they have to basically tie their souls to the soul of a, of something that was born on the planet. Yeah. And so, we only have one option, and that's Hazel. Yeah. Because Hazel was born on Cleve. And so, basically, Isabel says, you let me, uh, bond to her soul, essentially, and I will get you your snow, I will get you to the, uh, spaceship forest, if I believe that's what it's called. Uh, the yeah, rocket ship forest, rocket something ship like forest. that. Yeah. That sounds more correct. And uh, Where, yeah, whereas I was expecting on the map to be next to like the gumdrop, you know, city and the lollipop <laughs> fields. It's a little bit yeah. of Wizard of Oz, yeah, for sure. exactly. Um, but basically, I want to get off this planet, and this is the only possible way I could ever do yeah. that. So you help me, I help you, and I'll babysit for you. And it was, and it, in one of the most beautiful lines, and I, and obviously it's a clear foreshadowing, but it's just like. Uh, the mom is just like, will it hurt? At first she's like, no, what, no. I'm not letting you bond to my baby's soul. And she's just like, well, will it hurt? And one of the most beautiful lines is just like, only the day it ends. And like, and Hazel in in her narrating has said like, and that's how I got my first babysitter. So but you, not, but she, I think that's the full line is, that's how I got my first babysitter, but she was by no means my last. Yeah, and so it's clearly obvious that day is eventually going to come. And, you know, it's just this beautiful setup for what that's going to It's a shame, because like. I don't want Isabel to, to die again. <laughs> yeah, well, or, to, to permanently maybe, go away. Maybe she yeah. doesn't die, maybe she just finds a way to escape that She planet. finds a planet, she lives happily ever after. Um, the only other know. thing I guess you really need to know about Isabel is her and all the other horrors, you know, the, the ghost children of Cleve. They only can, they are only, uh, not even corporeal, but they're only visible at night. Yeah. Basically, during the day, they disappear. Which, like a babysitter, they show up in the evening so the parents yeah. can have a night away. So it works. Exactly. Um, it's so beautiful. And that's about what you need to know about her. Yeah. Uh, other than, yeah. Uh, now, when she's in space, she's there all the time. Um, is that true? Have we seen them during the daytime in Well, space? there isn't really daytime in space. Well, that's the question. Is it bonded to the... Uh, the gravit not gravitational, but just the the passage of time on Cleve, is it bond like is it, does it matter? I what think I think on? it's I think it's going to be dependent on what planet. Okay, fair on. enough. So, so we talked about the will, the will, the will. Who's a freelancer? He has Lion Cat. He's very much he's human. I mean, for for what we can call he's human. Han Solo meets Malcolm Reynolds from Firefly, drawn as Jason Statham. I, I, I awesome. wouldn't even. I would say more Han Solo, Jason Statham. I didn't pick up too much of the Malk. Uh, I There's mean, yeah, a there specific is that line thing where I was like, "That is Mal Reynolds." There's the whole story arc that he goes through with uh, saving the little girl with the human trafficking and all that jazz. But I think there's a line where he says, "I'm fixing to do something." Okay, well, that was probably just fan service. Oh, here we are. This is a quote from uh, Volume One. Listen to my voice, boy. I aim to murder you right after I murder everything you loved. 
Okay, that yeah, is Malcolm that's Reynolds. Very right Mal. Okay, but I looks a lot like Jason Statham, more generic yeah. shaved head uh, action hero. Yeah, guy. like B A kind of. Yeah, he's got this cloak which acts as a shield and may have other properties, but we don't know. He doesn't use it a lot. It's got a. I, I talked about this on LED, but I love the detail that he has a hood. Looks kind of like Nemesis from the Mark Miller miniseries. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he's got a hood, and it's never ever pulled up in volumes one or two. Yeah, it's always just kind of pulled back, like a superhero, type, like space ghost type hood, but it's space always ghost. pulled off the head and back, yeah. like it's, Captain it's America's down helmet did in, yeah. in the Avengers. And we talked a lot about this, but I love in general the clothing choices. We talked about here the Napoleonic um, dress of the, of the robot family. Yeah. But you look at all the different clothes, and I love how they don't fit. And when I say they don't hmm. fit, I mean they literally don't fit in terms of, especially when you look at the landfall forces, they yeah. wear uniforms that are baggy and have um, wrinkles and creases in the way that real clothing does when it's not fitted by a costume designer. Exactly. It looks as, as fantastical as some of the costumes are. Where they're are. putting this off on the line, it's not made to fit every single soldier, they don't have yeah. different sizes. It's a uniform. And especially Take how it or leave it. Like they have a very uh, one-wing slot design. And that doesn't fit every wing. And so you have some wings that kind of you can barely see and some wings that fills out properly. And, and, yeah. and so I love the clothing choices and how that works. I, partic- I mean, particularly the details like a hood that isn't used yet. Yeah. Um, or, or the clothes that don't quite fit in the way that real world clothes often don't really, particularly when exactly. they're uniforms. Um, so we've got the Will. He's got Lion Cat. He gets hired. Lion Cat. Lion Cat's awesome. He gets hired by one of the people of Reef. Unicorn chick. Yeah, she's got a unicorn horn. She's uh, like pure white. Which the only thing I could see think of was if you ever watched the old uh, TV show Dinosaurs. Not um, in a long time. Not since it was on the air. But I, that was one of my favorite shows as a kid. And there was that whole episode where the baby gets the magical unicorn horn and everyone starts worshipping her. I think it's from Axe Cop. Uh, well, that's also a thing in Axe Cop, which I own, which I love Axe Cop, so that's a recommendation people should go check out. Uh, the, but, sh- the show is coming to Fox very soon. They aired the pilot uh, just the other day as we recorded. Oh, this. is that, like, I didn't know that was that I did not get a chance to see it. Oh, yeah, it's coming to see us. Oh, okay. And they previewed it the other night. When it started, written by a five-year-old, yeah. drawn by his 27-year-old brother. Obviously, their ages have advanced as they yeah, would exactly. now. But it's basically any crazy idea his five-year-old brother came up with, the yeah. 27-year-old would draw. Yep. And it's insane, and it's awesome. I think, yeah, I think at one point there's a gun that shoots tornadoes of sharks with machine guns or something like that. That's yeah. a, that certainly sounds plausible for Axe Cop. Yeah, but anyway, so uh, that, that, while that is a thing that happens to Axe Cop, there was this whole thing where the baby gets a magical unicorn horn and becomes, like, the chosen one. But anyway, uh, so that's whenever I see someone in charge with a unicorn horn, that's all I can think of. But anyway. So he's been hired as a freelancer, which as freelancer would imply, he doesn't work for either side. He works yeah. for whoever pays him. Exactly. To yeah, mercenaries. kill Marco and Alana, bring back the baby. Because the people of Reef, at least, or at least this one person on Reef, who may have some relation to Marco, but it's unclear, may be Gwendolyn's mother. Yeah, we'll, we'll it get comes into out that Marco... We'll, get, in, we'll yeah, get into it. We'll get into well, it. I mean, I mean... It's, yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> but, so he, he's hired to kill them, bring back the baby. For what purposes, we don't yeah. know. Probably not good, though. Let's just... Let's just... Yeah. It would make sense if it wasn't good. And then his seahorse manager is all like, you know... He's you a manager, he's a seahorse. Yes. Uh, it was all like, you know, you weren't the only one hired, right? And he's like, no. Really? 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 Who did you hire? And, 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 and well, I think he doesn't even have to ask you. Like, he knows, and the seahorse is like, look, I'm sorry, but they wanted the best. And he goes, you, okay, fine, whatever. And then, you know, and it 
becomes out or it comes out that it's oh surprise his ex his ex partner his ex partner his ex quote unquote um, I'm doing bunny ears in the sky partner yeah they're they're not together he still has feelings for her um oh does but it. that is the freelancer the stalk the stalk is one of the coolest design characters I've seen anywhere in anything yeah I mean you she has mentioned well you just hear the stalk I mean you kind of assume naturally that it's some kind of female. I mean, at least... I don't know if you assume before you see her. I don't think enough information is given to really... See, to me, that screamed love interest. Like, that was... I don't think that stuff came out, though, until after you see her. No, no, because you don't don't see her. You just know that the stalk is on the job and that they were ex-partners. And to... Okay, so you assumed... To me, that was like... Yeah, unfinished love, you know, ex kind of breakup situation. That's what that screamed to me. So like we said earlier, the stalk gets to them first in the woods. Yeah, you just see... Because, well, I mean, you hear about these horrors, you hear about these horrors, and 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 see these red eyes in the background, and boom, there's a... you know, eight-eyed red chick with no limbs. Well, so basically what you see first yeah. is um, the Venus de Milo. You're familiar with that sculpture? It's Maybe. The, the torso with no arms. Yes. Famous sculpture, yes. Because um, she bit her nails too much is the old joke. Um, <laughs> and didn't know when to stop. But, so basically picture a black skirt, if you will, just the skirt, covering the waist, like a big poofy skirt. Well, just take a... A, a yeah. white torso, fully... Topless, uh, with no arms. Yeah, imagine a naturally beautiful, very pale woman, long, flowing blonde hair. Almost white, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty... Like platinum Yeah, exactly. Um, very, very uh, platinum blonde, super pale, beautiful black dress with kind of almost like a little cross pattern around the waist. Topless. And she's got kind of like a tiara type thing on. Yeah. And eight eyes. Eight, eight red eyes. No arms, kind of like his little shouldery stub, no arms, and just that nice little black skirt right there. Yeah, in the middle of the woods, why not? And we have no indication of who she is until she happens to mention that her name is The Stalk. And surprise, And that's where you get the, did you just say the? No, and surprise, all the limbs come out of nowhere. She kind of throws the skirt back, and she is essentially a spider centaur. Uh, I, I'm trying to remember actually what the D and D term is for. Oh, is there a D and D term for? Well, the, yeah, there's uh, all the dark elves are pretty much yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking at the pictures right now. We have yeah. the, we have both volumes, the trades in front of us, and uh, it's a, such a cool. And I've seen cosplays of this that was so good. Really? Yeah, you'll have to Google it. Like they they did a there's a non. Did they like tape hair? Like there's a yes, there's okay. a non Photoshop version and a Photoshop version. So one is just her, but the other is her photoshopped on this background. Looks really good. Okay. There's also one of Isabel, which is really fun too. They also have a really? photoshopped and non Photoshop version where either with legs or without. Um, okay. Um, but yeah, so she's basically a she is spider body that goes into the torso right. of yeah. Also, humans. I should say that it's not just spider body; it's hands at the end of it. Oh yeah, I was gonna get to all the yeah. all the legs and in humanoid hands ish ish. I mean, that all carry their own that. weapon pretty much. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think she uses like so three or four for walking, but the other four when she for throws back the skirt, yeah, it is just weapon city. Yep. And you go from this is a attractive but off-putting I character. Think, I didn't even think attractive. Um, I, I would I would say even the crazy spider version is attractive and I'm not I, into I saw that. yeah, I saw eight eyes, no arms. I'm like, eh, no, but not my thing. But from off-putting but vi- theoretically visually attracting attractive R- I can I yes. Horrific and awesome. Eh, yeah. Uh, spider lady. But who spider lady. who, who uh, escapes the horrors 
comes back later after Marco does his kill everybody routine, and she finds the bodies. And they're not actually dead. They they made sure to not kill them because Marco he didn't want had blood a on his hands. And yeah. He injured them all very much, oh, but very badly. They and put like a, chopped off all their wings. They put a spell on them to basically keep them alive. So and, medical yeah, forces put like a there. bind around them. Yeah. Unfortunately, the stalk happens across them first, oh. and that's exactly when Prince Robot the Fourth and some of his acolytes come up on them. Think she's the one who um, attacked them and tied who them up. Them all, yeah. She's on the phone with the Will at the time as he's like, "I want to come work with you," and we'll get into his story a little bit later. And that's when Prince Robot 4 thinks she's pulling out a gun, and she probably is, and shoots her through the chest, killing the stalk. This character you'd think would be a long-running character, because she's so awesome looking and, so And cool. how much they emphasized her, and like I said, to me, it screamed un, you know, unfinished business and the love. It screamed Whedon in, in the way it was handled, oh, in terms yeah. of just mm-hmm. boom, dead. And of course, the Will, who still has feelings for her, and makes that clear afterwards, after she's dead... Um, He's on the phone with her as she's murdered, and basically promises Prince Robot the Fourth. I forgot that's the, about that. Yeah. That's the I aim to murder you, son. Basically, you took you killed the woman I love. I'm going to kill you and everything you've ever loved. And so that that's still being played out in the series. Um, we don't know exactly where it's going to end up, but that's the stock story. Mm-hmm. The will. Um, he's going to go after them. He gets basically an unlimited credit card. Uh, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas he just gets a white card that's, yeah, good for unlimited credit. And so. as soon as he finds out the stalk is on the job, he's like, well, I'm not going to win. I'm he's not going like, to get to the bounty first. I'm away to the version of Vegas in space. So I'm going to Space Vegas, which is called Sextillion, and is basically a pleasure Gen- planet of... Genetically modified a, pleasure a, planet. A perverse pleasure planet of every thing you could possibly imagine and most things you probably wouldn't unless you were highly under the influence of something. And just highly gross and had a really gross mind. Again, much more adult content there. Um, Very gross. Gross, interesting, all kinds of different realms. Those chicks had no bodies. They were heads. Yep, just heads with legs heads and fishnets. With, um, with giant heads, we should and say. And they didn't let Lion Cat in, and that's why I didn't like them. Um, so he's there. He can't find anything he's really looking for, the will, until this... Uh, kind of hippo-looking guy, not even hippo, at least space alien weird thing with a square head comes up to him and basically oh, says... Oh, I was about to say, like, what hippo thing are you talking about? Yeah, He's yeah, like, yeah, I've got was... something that's going to wet your whistle. None of this interests you, i got something for you. And he brings him to this place yeah. where there is a six-year-old girl where basically he's told she'll do whatever you want. And uh, he says, Yep. Okay, you're going to do whatever I want. I want you to close your eyes because... Basically, close your eyes and don't look. And he then uh, he then proceeds to squash with his bare hands the head of the square-headed alien. Con style, yep. And attempt to flee the planet with this young girl. He's not successful. Basically, he's told um, by so one of her handlers, yeah. if she leaves the planet, there's something in her bloodstream that the moment she's out of range of the planet, it will basically turn her blood into peanut butter, a la the Star Trek episode, Star Trek The Next Generation episode, that scarred me as a child. It's one of my oldest memories. And a lot of Star Trek references in there, because, yeah, Khan squished the dude's head, and then that happened, and then... And so basically, the, the, the Will has to leave for a time, and he, this is before he finds out about the, the death of the stalk, where he decides, okay, they've confiscated my credit card, because I gave it to him when I got here to cover all the expenses... I'm going to go need to find the stalk, team up with her, and get access to her credit card so I can come basically buy the freedom of this girl. Yeah, because they take it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's when he calls her up. She gets murdered. He pledges vengeance on um, Prince Robot the Fourth, And eventually he does go back and rescue the girl. Um, I forget the exact 
how he managed to do that. Well, well, basically, or no, was that a dream sequence? No, well, okay. First there was is a dream, dream sequence, sequence where uh, he gets everything he ever wants. Where he comes in, he's like, "Oh, I have the girl now." What are you where the stalk do? is back, and she's and got then, a scar, but yeah. she's still alive. And Which then, I mean, at first I'm like, "Hmm." Probably dream sequence, but also this takes place in space, so I could see if they kind of fixed her. There's spells and all these kinds of yeah, things. Yeah, I was about to say, but probably dream sequence. And then they go through that whole thing, and then basically he's like, Little girl, you never told me your name. She's like, God. And I'm like, What? And then she's like, I can't believe you're still having this dream. I'm like, Yep, okay, that solidifies <laughs> that. Um, so he does eventually, after that dream sequence, go and rescue her. I forget exactly how he manages to do that, but it does happen, right? Yeah, well, basically, this is where Gwendolyn comes in, because you find out... Oh, that's as, right! Yes! Um, okay, so as, we should introduce this As now. Marco is half-dead, he's all he, like... He's been shot by the stalk. Yes. They need the snow. Not, not even shot, like... Oh, tongue, that's right, she's got this... Tongue-needle thing. Tongue-needle alien-from-aliens type thing. Yeah, very, like, poked him in the chest, heart artery thing. And he's dying. And as he's hallucinationing and he dying... He says, tell my wife I loved her. Well, and tell Gwendolyn. No, no, first he says, tell my wife I loved her. And Alana's like, I'm, I'm right here. And he goes, tell Gwendolyn I loved her. Yeah, tell Gwendolyn I, like, I always loved her. Like, I'm trying to think what the exact line is. So, of course, we have the book. So, we learn after he is resuscitated with the snow that he was actually engaged mm-hmm. to this woman, Gwendolyn. This was back when he was very gung-ho about the war. She still very much is. And... After he renounced, uh, you know, the war and became a pacifist, he f- quickly realized this was not going to work out. He t- stole their wedding rings, which are universal translators, which is handy. Yep. Those are the wedding rings that he and Alana used, which she was not aware of and she's not happy about. Which were important, because, I mean, they speak different languages. Yes, it is important. And now Gwendolyn also wants to get back to her fiancé, and I believe, so she helps the Will um, pay for the rescue of the young girl, whose name I forget. I don't think they, they give her a name. Really? Uh, maybe in the end of what you do? I don't know. Yeah, so as far as we can tell from looking through the book, her name is a slave girl, and she hasn't been given a name since then. It may be her actual legal name, um, which is unfortunate, um, I guess, unless you really own it. Then it could be kind of awesome, but... Mm-hmm. That goes dark. So he, he escapes with her, um, or, or they pay her way out, either way. Yeah. And so it's basically now the Will, Gwendolyn, who is... Uh, who is Marco's fiance? Kind of ex-fiance, although I don't think yeah, she'd I'm agree with that. I'm pretty sure you can kind of say he'd agree with that. I don't know if she would. Yeah, well, and basic and slave I girl mean, and lion cat. You're married, but yeah, I mean the Will Gwendolyn slave girl lion cat going now to fulfill I his part of the bargain. Said nine cat. I'm like that would make this complicated. Going after Marco and Alana and the baby. Exactly. And that's when all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Lion Cat almost dies. Ships get blown up. Oh, man, they ended that issue with that. And I'm all like, if he dies, I'm so done. If he dies, I'm so done. He's not even an important character, but I love this cat so much. And then he didn't die. And I was like, yes, good, 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 good. And, and this, of course, happens after Marco and Alana escape the planet. They do escape the planet on a tree, tree rocket, a rocket like, ship. Like we said, yeah. Mm-hmm. From the rocket ship forest, it is a gorgeous tree forest. made of twisting roots and branches. Um, it responds to your thoughts. Yeah, I think it. it burns you can't really control it. You yeah. can make suggestions, you and if it likes them, where it goes, if it likes yeah. them and it likes you, it'll probably follow them. Yeah. But otherwise, it just does what it wants. Yep. And soon after they get on the ship, incoming magic and onto the ship teleport to people from Wreath, who are quickly learn. 
And that's yeah, and that's where where uh, Hazel just says. And then my grandparents came to live with they us. They are Marco's parents, and at first it feels it you appears it's going to be very antagonistic, and that they're not happy with this. You quickly learn they're actually kind of cool. More so his father. His mom still comes around. We, well, I mean, that's just because, you know, the father has to say a spell when it's just him and, and uh, what's her name? Um, Alana. Alana. And Alana and her and his father pr- quickly strike up a well, friendship. Well, no. That's, it, it only happens after he's well, like... Well, eventually. Well, she's like, I need a secret, or you need to say a secret. I've heard a lot about you. I have a month to live. Oh. And, like, he just puts her to sleep, and then that's after that they start to develop the friendship. But, yeah. That was that was a heavy moment. That but they, they kind of bond over being parents and how to raise yeah, kids. Yeah, and that's where that, that quote I was saying about, you know, the whole, you know, you spend your entire life, you know, figuring out what to do, and then when you finally got it figured out, well, you know. And it was just so touching. The moment his parents get on the ship, um, Isabel starts doing the horror thing and tries to protect them, and her, uh, his, his mother banishes Well, I didn't even think Isabel. she did the horror thing. Well, either way. She, she just kind of was like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm banished. She gets banished to another planet, so Marco and his mother have to go rescue her from a giant, naked, grotesque troll thing. That was that was gross. That was the On a planet that's thing. really an egg. Yep, with upside-down face witches, and yeah. Yep. And they eventually get back, and, and so at this point in the series, and we've pretty much spoiled everything now, Prince Robot 4 shows up. He's been following and tracking them down all throughout the series. He's a, he's a really cool character. He's three-dimensional. He Yeah, they're definitely I mean, they're definitely developing. Like he he gets a call from his wife that she's pregnant, which is a big deal because he's been dealing with erectile dysfunction um, pretty majorly <laughs> since the war. No, seriously. No, I know, but it's just a funny thing that you're like Th- this you're robot like, has, you know, problems with You say in the that like he's a real like I'm very happy he got pregnant because he was dealing with erectile well, dysfunction. Well, like, I mean, he's you don't feel like he's a villain. You I mean, you I mean, and you I do think eventually that, kind of. But No, I think it, I think they make it very clear and I think his wife is finally pregnant and he wants to get home to her. Exactly. He, he's being he's just done a tour of what he calls hell. Which was, because that, that flashback was rough. And that, so he gets home, and that's when the wife is impregnated, presumably, and he's basically, right as soon as that happens, called back out to go find these people of Marco and Alana and the baby, and he just wants to get home to his wife and yeah. go back to living the royal lifestyle. Not even in a, in a awful way. Like, he doesn't, you don't get the impression that he's like a terrible royalty or anything like that. No, yeah. He's just, he wants to get back to not fighting wars. And... So he's been tracking throughout the series. He found out about the book by D. Oswald Heist. He's been reading it. He's been interviewing people who knew them in very cool ways. And when he gets yeah. emotional, he's got this TV screen for a face. When he gets emotional, either it goes static or... And not just, like, anger emotion, but any type of emotion, like strong emotions, like maybe a baby rattle will show up on his face when he finds out the wife is pregnant. Or he yeah. can show people images like, do you know this person? Do you know Marco? And his face will show up. But when up. he got mortally wounded, it was a dude sucking another dude. And I was like, what? It was a, a pornographic image at one point. And it wasn't him. I think it was actually somebody else in the war. Was it him? No, when he got wounded. Was it him when he that was wounded? That was him wounded when that okay. came up. I was like, why is that your instinct when you're wounded? Who knows? But, well, I mean, yeah. th- one of the things is we don't know a lot about this extraneous world. And so sometimes things happen and you go, that's weird. Yeah. And it doesn't really bother you, or usually it doesn't bother yeah, you that me, things are weird happening, but you don't necessarily get an explanation, and I don't know that I need one. 
Yeah. Well, the, let me just say, yeah, of all, what bothered me wasn't those things. It was that flashback from, you know, the the, the war sequence that, that Prince Robot was in. Like, that bothered me. But in a way that, you know, it was supposed to, like, not that this is just bad, it bothers me. It's the extreme violence and, and horror. Yeah, and which, which is where I was getting into of what I was saying, that this book, it's kind of like, you know, inception of a book within a book, you know, you know as a thinly veiled call to inaction where this is kind of the same thing showing the horrors of war and I think they did so very accurately but um, you know initially with Isabel but I think they did so even more with uh, Prince Robot in that whole flashback sequence um, to get into the more meta aspect of the whole sure sure and, and let me just say I think I think it's very strong foreshadowing of how Prince Robot is going to respond to the Oh, you have a baby. I get what that's like to have a baby and want to be. In probably, a baby. yeah, yeah, and that's kind of yeah what I think they're going to be getting at. So, which will happen soon, probably, because like we said, after issue twelve, they're taking a, a couple month break before they start up the next volume. But by the end of the volume, he is tracked down the Oswald Heist because he wants to interview this guy. He knows he knows a lot of wanted to meet the Oswald Heist. He knows she looks up to him, so he goes to his house, which is in a, like a lighthouse. That's where you run into the walrus The most cow adorable seal thing and, in and the world. And the seal baby in oh overall. Oh my i got to look at volume two just so I can see how adorable this <laughs> seal thing It's towards the was. end. Oh, um, I love him so much. And he interviews... Did you bring bottles? He likes it when the ladies bring bottles. He interviews <laughs> D. Oswald Heist. It's very much that first um, sequence from Inglorious Bastards, where it's just super tense. You don't know for sure how much the... Uh, questioner knows. You don't know for sure how much the answer, the the questioning knows. It's very much an interrogation, but it's civil, but it's not. And yeah, just it's this question kind of, this of when of like who when is the powder keg, keg? It's just this question of when is the powder keg going to blow? And by the end of that volume, it has started to blow, and you see that not only are things already bad just between Diazwell Heist and Prince Robot the Fourth, but you also see that Alana Marco. And whoever else is still with him at that point, I forget off the top of my head, are actually on the second floor of that lighthouse, well, or yeah, the, the floor he, above them, where, hiding in the stairwell. Well, because the, the last thing he says is, you know, I, I have a feeling they'll be here soon, and he's just like, he was wrong. We weren't going to be there anytime soon. And then it, it's the page of them, like, on the top floor of the lighthouse with all their weapons drawn, and Hazel just saying, because we'd already been there a week by the time he got there. Yeah. yeah. And volume two, super big cliffhanger. Yeah. Pierce, oh my th- word, this seal thing's so adorable. <laughs> I want one so badly. Pierce, I think we've made it pretty clear by this point, but we love this series so far. I just like adorable seals and overalls, but yes. <laughs> but that was an issue like 11 or 12, so had yeah, you exactly. not gotten it, you'd still love this series. Oh yeah, right? I mean, I absolutely love everything about it. I'm just staring at a picture of a seal and overalls. It's, so. it's again, it's super well written. The art is gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous and fantastical. It's, it blends illustrated Art elements with painted elements sometimes. The way the narration is woven into the art is fantastic. It's very adult, both in language, absolutely um, again, sexual not, content, yeah. and violence. It is not for children, but you, if you are a discerning adult, um, if you've ever read Why the Last Man by Ryan K. Vaughan, if you are reading um, Private Eye with Marcos Martin and Brian K. Vaughan, which if you're not, three episodes, three issues, I should say, are out. Go to, oh, what is the name of that website? Google Private Eye, Brian K. Vaughn, and Marcos Martin. It's spelled like Martin. Um, he's a Chilean artist. No, I take that back. Is he Chilean? Mm. And, and You say that like a question like I would know the answer to that. 
I, I think it's panelsyndicate.com, but I could be completely off. Regardless, it's a digital-only book that's up to three issues now that they're doing. It's pay-whatever-you-want. It is worth full price, if not more. It is really cool. And if you are... And we don't get into politics here, but if you have been yeah. following the whole Prism NSA thing... <laughs> They were way ahead of the curve on that, and this book is kind of fantastic. Not kind of, it's completely fantastic. Um, it's really cool. Check it out as an aside. But if you've read that, you love that. You'll love this probably. If you loved Why the Last Man, which is an acclaimed series by Brian K. Vaughn, you will probably like this. Uh, yeah. I believe he also wrote Ex Machina, a series I still haven't gotten to, but I hear great things about. Um, this is already a really long episode, Pierce. But what, what else? It's a really long episode. What else do you want to say about Saga before we end? Uh, we mentioned there's a lot of adult content. Absolutely. I think you can you can have a series that is carried by the adult content, or you can have a series that has adult content in it, but if you remove that, it would still be the same series. Um, I don't know if I'd say the same, but it would still be good. And I would, and I would say... Uh, on on the on the um, sexual note, I think that's one hundred percent true. I don't think you could have this without the war aspects of it. Um, but you know, I, I just want to make it clear that if you would maybe be turned off by that kind of thing, um, but if you would be turned on by that kind of thing, <laughs> don't read this either because then you're turned on by really weird things. Um, but it's not judge. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, I like. I already said that Spider Lady's hot, and that is certainly not something I'm normally into. <laughs> Normally into like before you read Saga, you're like, yeah, spiders. No, but anyway, no, I hate spiders, which is weird because I love Spider Man. I do not, <laughs> which is weird. Cause I do not dig the spiders, man. Uh, you know, my word, that was a bad book. But anyway, um, it, I would encourage you to to check it out anyway because it doesn't drive it. No, um, it feels like everything else, and we we, we touched on a little bit. Real world, there are. It's a fantastical, crazy space adventure, but the way people talk, the way they interact. Different things, like, you, you see a standard wrench on the roof of a garage building, like an like a, um, automotive garage that works on spaceships or space cars, whatever. It's got a real-world wrench on the roof as, like, the neon sign. Yeah. And even though there's all these fantastical elements, the way that, you know, we're, we're flipping through um, a scene inside the Will's ship. Yeah. He's got a kitchen with normal pots and pans and all these things. And, and so for all the fantastical elements, it feels very real-world, including how the sexual content is handled Guess what? People have sex, and it's it's handled in a way that feels very real. Yeah, all you know, lumps and all, and not in an exploitative way. Just in a hey, guess what? People talk like this. People do things like this. This is a book about two people who fell in love and had a baby. Yeah. Guess what? It's gonna have content like that. In it. And, and, and speaking of the two people that fell in love and had a baby thing, uh, listeners, like like I said before, I'm not a parent. But just in how much I work with kids, I've been working with kids for probably about 10 years now. Like, you know, it's, I... And I worked f- with kids for about 10 years as well. I, uh, I can't stand children, but I did work with yeah, them for and a see, And see, I love kids, and so, like, I, I totally get the whole aspect of, um, you know, oh, you got to figure this out as you go along. 
I would love to hear from any of you that are parents that have read Saga what this said to you as you've been that would you know, be very interesting actually. yeah as you've you know been parents you know made it work with someone uh, you know and had kids and what that kind of was the stumbling process looked like so I'd love to hear that from any of you that have any interest in that but uh, other than that I think that's all I have to say check it out uh, it's going to be very hard to find the single issues but you can buy it digitally you can buy it um, in trades I was trades about to say yeah, just check Amazon I'm sure you can get the trades it, on there it's great I think the first I've got them right here so I can tell you exactly the prices the First one is only ten dollars because it's from Image, and that's how they do their first trades. Second is fifteen, still worth it. You can might be able to get a discount somewhere. I didn't realize that the first was ten, and I thought it was a, a mischarge when I got it, I bought it <laughs> no. at the store. And I'm like, I'm just going to roll with this. Image and Vertigo, in particular, I think others do it as well, but they're very good with the first bite of the apple. Is not free, but much cheaper. They'll do that okay. one dollar first issue. Basically, we trust this story so much. We think you will dig it that we will take a we will take a uh, a loss on the first issue or the first trade yeah. because we think that if you read this, you will fall in love with it like Pierce and I have, yeah. and we think you'll continue with it. Yeah, and and that's a, a whole conversation for a different day about business practices and image and how much I respect them and that. But I, I agree, and I think, yeah. and they also kind of have to. You don't have to do that with Spider Man. People are going to buy Spider Man. Oh yeah, that's the thing. What's saga? saga? I don't know what Saga is. He has horns and she has wings. I don't understand what's going on in this guy. He's a baby. Yeah. I don't like kids. But, but no, yeah. give it a chance. And, yeah. You know, as long as the content things won't bother you, and some people they will, and that's legitimate, and, you know, f- that's fine. As long as they don't, I think you're going to fall in love with this. Yeah, you know? exactly. Do you like Star Wars? Check this out. You like Romeo and Juliet and Joss Whedon and Brian K. Vaughn's other That's an work. interesting combination to say together. Especially because mm-hmm. he just did, um, uh... What did Joss Whedon just do? As, as You Like It? or Oh, did he? Not As You Like It. What? That was the, the Shakespeare play my sister was just in a few months ago. I was about ago. to say, wait, didn't, didn't, yeah, didn't the local homeschoolers just did that one? What did, what did Joss Whedon just release as a black and white film with like all the people from his universe shot in his house? I haven't heard of this, but I need to go to the internet now. Google it right now so we can, we can plug it. Joss Whedon Shakespeare. Did you say Joss Whedon Internet? Shakespeare. Oh, Shakespeare. I don't know why I heard Internet. I'm tired. They both create a lot of words? Yes. We, oh, not we phone. We done. Much to much ado? Much ado about nothing, yes. He just did a version of Much Ado About Nothing. So it is kind of funny that I would say uh, Shakespeare. It's uh, in theaters? Why have I heard? Very, n- very limited release. Why have I heard literally nothing about this? He shot this over like two weeks in his house. Yeah, well, he did the same thing with, with Dr. Horrible. Like... How have I not heard of oh boy, My fanboyness is going Like down. I said, limited release. Yeah, but, exactly. So if any of those things stick out as, oh, that's something I like, don't worry that we've spoiled the story for you because it's not about the plot point. It's about the dialogue and the interaction with these and fully the 3D characters, quote-unquote villains, quote-unquote heroes. I was about to say, the like, yeah, the there are very few people that are very distinctly defined as they're a villain. all, any major character, I'm like, sure, there's peripheral characters that aren't fleshed out super strong, but yeah. like because they, they show up yeah. for, a, for a page or two. But, all of the main and secondary characters are fully three-dimensional. Yeah. And it's great. Exactly. I love it. I love it, too. So, uh, I'm Jordan from Jersey. I'm Pierce from Jersey. Have a good week, everybody. Buy yourself some saga. Please do. Thanks for listening to Jersey Shore. You can contact us at jordan at legionofdudes.com. That's J-O-R-D-A-N at legionofdudes.com. Or follow me on Twitter at jordanfrmjersey.
landfall is home. Let's just let that let the applause die down. Actually, let me get a beer because I just finished my beer. Sorry. Yeah. What are you going for? The heart of darkness. Is there another milk stout in there? No, I use it. I'll I'll get more milk stout. I think the heart of darkness might be your next best choice, uh, unless you want to try Storm King. Um, uh, what is behind the uh, ninety minute? That one with the shark on it. There should be something behind that shark. That you tried that before. You said it kind of tastes like nothing. Um, you know what? If you want to, um, I was kind of keeping it on reserve. Uh, upstairs, near the, for the, for the darkness. Okay, I was about to say there is a uh, Puerto Rican rum. Yeah, I don't want to mix. Uh, the opener's right there. I don't want to put in my oh, keys. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and I haven't eaten today. I had a cupcake. You want food? I should lie to your parents. I told them I already had dinner because I wasn't really hungry. Yeah, I and it's also my parents who will make you then eat an entire meal. I only woke up at six. For the record, I hope this gets into the bloopers at the end. If you ever reach in, uh, you know, are going to be around uh, the New Jersey area, South Jersey in particular, if you would like to swing on by, my parents feed everyone all the time, which Jordan can attest to. They're the most, what's what's the phrase I'm looking for? Hospitable? Unreasonably hospitable (laughs) people I've ever met. Yes. You you know, if you want to lie... They're nice to a fault, and I mean that in the best possible way. Yes. You might want to lie to them and say that you have actually eaten dinner because they will prepare a three-course meal with dessert for you. Yes. So, yes. Uh, Bloopers are over. But anyway. Or just, like, order you a pizza and be like, here you go. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess we should just go ahead and get you a pizza. Oh, you don't have a place to stay? Well, you can live here for three months. But anyway. Um, (laughs) It has not happened for me, but it has happened. That's um, weird. Do you like it? Yeah. Okay. But that first sip was weird. Yeah. Um, it's also another one that kind of tastes like nothing. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but in a good way. In a weird way. In a weird way. In a weird good way, it tastes like nothing. <laughs> um, that might be the quote for this episode. <laughs> no, I want to I do something for, for Saga. Have you, have you seen how I label them all? Uh, you kind of like taking uh, clips from it. I take a quote from the episode, out of context... Put there, it in was, there. there was there was something that I wanted to ah oh, there was something that I really want to say that I had a quote I had a like a title for the for the uh, last one I couldn't think of it but anyway so let, let uh, we were from I, the one we just recorded yeah from the uh, from the something episode. that was in the episode something that I thought of like oh I could totally say I want to make sure I say this in the episode but I can't remember what to, it to be fair how I usually choose those yeah. is after I've edited and exported the file yeah. and have tagged it and have uploaded it why I, I generally write it while I'm uploading it yeah. and so I will open up the file. And then just jump around, you know, through the timeline until I find a quote that'll work. Because <laughs> occasionally there are ones that'll be like, oh, when I hear it, I write it down, and it's yeah. like, or I type, type it up technically, be like, that's what I'm using. But usually it's just click, no, click, no, click, no, uh, maybe, click, oh, uh, yeah, that's oh, what, no. you know. 